Howdy there. Hi, I'm Verm Supreme, and this is my pony. Hello there! And you are listening to Perception is Reality! And you know it is. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbrey is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this 87th episode of Perception is Reality. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. It's good to be with you all. Thank you for giving me a little bit of your time. I am honored and humbled. Folks, we have a really, really big and amazing show for all of you in this episode. And I am so happy that it's finally here. You're going to have an amazing time. First, we need to take care of some housekeeping issues. And I want to say for those of you that have been here since the beginning, as always, I am eternally grateful for your commitment to the podcast. And I have to say thank you. For those of you that are new, maybe you've been here for the last couple episodes, maybe this is your first episode, I have to give you thanks as well. I hope that you'll be able to check us out if you like what you hear. I hope you will go back and check out some of the back catalog. Of course, it's all always free. Give us a chance. But no matter if you've been here since the beginning or if you're a newbie, I'm going to ask you for a quick favor. See, what we do here is always free. All the content, it is all free. New episodes, old episodes, free, free, free. I don't ask you to pay. I don't ask you for much, honestly. I ask you for a little bit of your time on Tuesdays and Saturdays or whatever days you choose to listen. I ask you if you're interested in being connected on social media to watch the videos when I produce those videos at your leisure. But I don't ask you for money. I don't ask you to pay for this content. Who in the hell would do that? Nobody would do it. But when I do come to you asking you for a simple favor, it's a favor that means something. It's always very simple from your point of view, and it means a lot, and it means a lot to the podcast, and it goes a long way to making us all better. So I'm going to ask you for that favor at this moment. Friends, whether you're new or whether you've been here for a long time, I'm going to ask that you all share this episode. This episode's going to be a big episode, but besides this episode, share the podcast as a whole with everyone you know on social media and help bring people to the show. Help spread the word. 
Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey can be found on all major podcast hosting sites simply by searching on the internet for Bilbrey Podcast. That's Bilbrey, B-I-L-B-R-E-Y, Podcast, and you will find the show. Let your friends, family, co-workers, loved ones know how to find the show. We can also be found on social media by simply going to facebook.com forward slash bilberry318. See, the audio podcast side is Tuesdays and Saturdays. And there on Facebook, I produce the live video episodes through their live streaming service, sprinkled in through the rest of the week. And if you so choose, you can be there and engage. You can communicate with us. It's a fun time. So check that out if you haven't already. So before we get to the main attraction this evening, I do have to say that I know that we are in a very strange time right now. We are in a strange new world. With all of the COVID-19 talk, the virus, this pandemic that's gripping the nation and the world, I know everybody's on edge. I know I am. I know the people around me are. I know I know it's just weird because we've never been through this before. We're all living in uncharted waters. And I know that you might be scared, you might be on edge, you might be anxious, confused. Everybody has had those feelings about this, or they will at some point before it's over. And we need to be here to look out for one another. We need to be a little bit more patient, a little bit kinder. We need to have the understanding that everybody is going through this and processing it in their own ways. And so we need to be here to help each other. We need to use good common sense. Of course, and it should go without saying, we need to practice good hygiene. Wash your hands. Use hand sanitizer. Pay attention and be cognizant of where you're sneezing or where you're coughing. At the same time, be cognizant of who is around you sneezing or coughing. Wash, wash, wash your hands. That is a must if you want to try to fight this. Also, it's strange, strange new times, folks. I understand. But practice social distancing or social isolation. You know, I'm not one to give up freedoms. I'm not one to say, yeah, hey, government, come lock me down. But I'm okay doing something voluntarily, and I think that we should all take some time to say, ah, you know what, I'm going to peace out from the world for a minute. I'm going to stay in the house and check out some podcasts. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful thing to do? You have to understand that we need to do whatever we can to snuff this virus out so that we can come out on the other side and then repair what we need to repair, build the economy back, repair all of the businesses, and get on with life. And we will get through it. We will overcome it. 
because that's what we do. We're strong. We're Americans. That's what is built in our DNA. We are Americans, and we will overcome this. All right, so enough of that. And now, without any further ado, I can announce the special guest that most of you all already know. Tonight, in just a few moments, we will be being joined on the phone by none other than Libertarian candidate Vermin Love Supreme. Who is Vermin Love Supreme, you might ask? Well, ladies and gentlemen, without getting into the whole documentary type feel, which that's not what this is, this is not going to be a look at when he was born and how he came up and where he's at now. Rather, this is going to be a look at the state of politics and why he exists. Because most of you and most people look at Vermin Supreme as a character. Look at him as a performance artist or a satirist. I prefer to look at him as an absurdist, as an absurd candidate. And I don't mean that negatively towards him, not meaning that he's absurd. Rather, through his activism, through his campaigns, through his shtick, he points out the absurdity in the other politicians around him and in the quote-unquote American political system as it stands in this day and age. And he does that with a brilliance that people really don't know that he has. Because most people know him as the meme, the living meme that he has became because of his campaigns and because of his activism. But if you spend any time, which we're going to tonight, talking with him, you understand that this gentleman is brilliant and that it's got to be something that we're all part of. It's not like just a joke that he's playing on all of us. It's more like a joke that we're all in on. And although he has ran for president in 04, 08, 2012, 16, and again this year, this is the first year where he's really picked up traction. He's ran as a Democrat, although he's not a Democrat. He's ran as a Republican, although he's not a Republican. He's finally found a home, somewhat of a home, within the Libertarian Party. At least he sees himself as a Libertarian. Whether or not all Libertarians like what he's doing or understand or back him, that's another thing. That's my problem with the Libertarian Party. They have a major identity crisis, in my opinion, and it's more like a think tank than a national political party. I hope that's something that someday can be fixed because I honestly could see being a Libertarian because my beliefs gravitate that way. We just need to get it to the point where there's a little bit of an understanding and a little bit better of an identity behind the party. And I think that 
with Vermin's run and the fact that he's now part of the Libertarian Party, although it seems so crazy or absurd, he's giving a little bit more legitimacy to the idea of a third party candidate running. I know there have been other libertarians running, and they have been the same, in all honesty, as what you see on the right and the left. The suit, the tie, the old white man, and it's the same old song and dance. I understand what they believe, I understand what their party believes, but it just seems like, you know, a whiter shade of pale, another fish in the sea type of thing. And with Vermin, I mean, what you see is what you get, plus so much more. And what people really need to understand is there are two things going on here. There is a character that he is playing, but then there's also the mind behind the activism that he has participated in for the last 30 or 40 years. And he actually has some really amazing views, even if, in my opinion, he skews a little bit more left than I tend to agree with. But the fact that he has done so much for activism and for the First Amendment. That's something that I have to get behind because that's very important to me. So this isn't going to be the episode where you learn the end-all be-all for Vermin Supreme. Rather, this is where you learn what he's thinking, who he is right now, and you decide if you should support him as the libertarian candidate to run against Donald Trump and Biden. <laughs> we'll go ahead and say it's Biden. We all know it's Biden in November. See, the libertarian party will hold their convention to pick their presidential candidate at the end of May 2020 if Everything goes as planned because, you know, we've got this coronavirus deal going on, so that might add a little bit of upheaval to it. But he has a real shot, and it's drawing a lot of attention to the libertarians. So those libertarians that look at him as being a joke, that look at him as being somebody that's just not a serious choice, not someone that you can get behind or take part in. That's what this show's about. This show is about showing you some of the actual thoughts behind the man that is Vermin Supreme. But before we bring our guest on, I do need to talk to you about the sponsor of this 87th episode of Perception is Reality, and that is none other than Fruit of the Bean Coffee Company. Folks, if you have not tried this coffee yet, if you have not placed your order, then you're missing out and you don't know what fresh coffee is. They have whole bean, 
or ground coffee for those folks that don't have a coffee grinder at home. And there are a lot of us. But they don't roast the coffee until you place the order. That's what locks in the freshness. And I have to tell you, producers Kate and Niles from here at the show ordered some of this coffee a couple weeks back, the fresh roasted French vanilla coffee. And when it came in the package and they opened the package up, that smell wafted out into the studio. It was magnificent. And that was before you even tasted it. But the best part is, these people are not just concerned about making you a fresh pot of coffee. Oh no, they are also concerned about giving back to some of the most vulnerable in our world today. The orphans and those affected by human trafficking. So head over to fruitofthebean.com to check out what they have going on over there. And if you enter Perception during checkout for the promo code, you will get 25% off whatever you order. So head over to fruitofthebean.com and check out the fresh coffees and see how you can give back today. All right, folks, when we come back from this quick break, we will be joined by our guest. Are you all excited? I've been excited and ready for this for quite some time. When we return, we will be talking to none other than the king of the pony show, Mr. Vermin Supreme. Don't forget your toothbrush. You're listening to Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lindsay Sterling, and I know what it's like to struggle with mental health issues. If you have a friend that's going through a tough time, now's the perfect moment to reach out. Learn how to start the conversation at SeizeTheAwkward.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbrey. Hi, Vermin Supreme here, and you are listening to Perception is Reality. And you know it is. Well, he is absolutely correct. This is Perception is Reality. I am your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey, and this is the 87th episode of the podcast. We are joined on the phone with Mr. Vermin Supreme, libertarian candidate running for president of the United States of America. Welcome to the show, Vermin. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much uh, for a clarification. I am seeking the nomination of the Libertarian Party as the presidential candidate. Okay, well, that's a good place to start. So when is the convention? And tell us a little bit about that process. Well, once again, of course, uh, all things are sort of up in the air currently, what have you, with this uh, latest pandemic that we are experiencing as a human race. Um, uh, Tentatively and uh, previously, it was planned for the future of uh, Memorial Day weekend, uh, May 23rd, 4th, uh, right in there okay. in Austin, Texas. And uh, that is where the Libertarian Party, uh, by its bylaws, is committed to uh, choosing a candidate, uh, and that is based on delegates. Uh, each of the Libertarian parties and the various state parties 
are given a number of delegates uh, that are apportioned uh, one way or another. I'm not sure exactly how that happens. Uh, but the candidate who can uh, get 50% plus one of those delegates uh, to vote for them is, will be the uh, nominee. Uh, there can be up to 1,000 delegates at the convention, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Sure. Um, and I think uh, the way the numbers break, I think you can get nominated with a, a, nominal, a more nominal number um, to be qualified to be in the presidential debate that they'll be holding. I believe it's 10% or approximately 100 and uh, once again, to win, uh, you need half plus one. Okay, great. How are you guys feeling going into the Libertarian Convention in May? I know everything is a little up in the air because of the whole pandemic, but if everything settles down and you guys go forward with the Libertarian Convention, what's your thoughts on uh, how that will turn out? Well, I, I myself uh, am somewhat uh, cautiously trepidatious, if you will. <laughs> okay. Um, because uh, there's a reasonable chance that I, I could get it. You know, I, I mean, I, I came in first in the New Hampshire primary, a libertarian primary. I yeah. came in first in the uh, Massachusetts libertarian primary, tied for second in the California primary, and uh, I think came in third in the North Carolina primary. And uh, obviously, I, I crush every single online poll. I have I've been doing uh, super great in a lot of the, the straw polls. Uh, after some of the debates, uh, but uh, recently in Illinois, I did come in uh, first, and uh, you know I, I'm usually in the I, I'm up there, but uh, we, we'll see how it goes. Uh, cautiously trepidatious, like I say, this year is very different than any other year that I've uh, ever uh, run. Uh, as you may know, I've been running a, a satirical humor campaign, uh, critical of the electoral system and, and politics in general for the past 30 years. And uh, that generally, uh, my general election year looks something along the lines of going up to the New Hampshire primaries for a week or so. Uh, going to the uh, RNC and DNC conventions, and then the inaugurations. And so essentially it was a, a time investment, uh, maybe four weeks uh, a year, every four years. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, because of the, the media intensity in all of those events, and because of the simple and elegant communication strategies that I've developed, and the sheer residence of, uh, of my imaginary platform, um, <laughs> that has uh, given me, uh, and of course my actions uh, on the street as a, as a riot police rodeo clown, if you will. Yes. Um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of cred, but, but that, that combination of, uh, you know, the satirical campaign and my activism uh, for the First Amendment and free speech on the streets uh, has given me enough notoriety uh, over those 30 years that has allowed me to build an audience and uh, that essentially uh, spans the political spectrum, uh, quite frankly. Sure. And it definitely uh, skews uh, younger. Uh, the young people have a great uh, affection for me. Um, you know, I mean, kids are naturally anti-authoritarian. They are naturally uh, nonconformist and, and they love humor. Right. And uh, and they want to change the world. And, you know, that that's sort of what libertarians and and myself and the kids uh, all have in common there. Sure. Um, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I've reached a point at my imaginary career, if you will, uh, that I believe that I can make a legitimate offer uh, to the Libertarian Party. Uh, I am offering my services as a candidate.
um, with, with the name recognition, uh, with, with the uh, large following, with the um, built-in uh, iconography and the character and the, the magic boot and, and all, all of those things. You know, it's sort of a package deal. And um, once, uh, you know, I've spent, uh, you know, this year in particular uh, or la last year and this year, um, you know, last year I ended, uh, I attended a, a number of libertarian debates, um, which, well, it, it was, I, was, I will say it was over a year, probably close to a year and a half ago now uh, that uh, Desiree Lindsay, mm -hmm. uh, my campaign manager in Texas, reached out to me and wanted to know if I was interested in running a more serious campaign for the libertarian nomination. And I agreed to that. And so um, in that intervening time, uh, we have developed a, a campaign staff of uh, at least 30 uh, people uh, and mostly uh, principled libertarians, uh, one and all. And uh, they are uh, I've developed a, a quite an audience and uh, a quite a bit of support in the party itself. And uh, I've spent this past year attending the conventions and uh, attending uh, debate after debate after debate, um, essentially trying to convince people that um, it is not inconceivable. Sure. Not inconceivable uh, that uh, I could bring in a lot of young people. And that part I, I can pretty much uh, uh, guarantee. And perhaps even be the, you know, my, my staff feels very strongly that, uh, you know, I'm the, the best bet on this uh, of all the candidates currently uh, seeking the nomination that could perhaps uh, reach the, the magic 5% uh, number, which seems to be a magical number for the LP. Now that brings me to my next question. As you're starting to pick up steam, and as you're starting to enjoy more mainstream success, and more folks are starting to know you and understand who you are and what you're about, and now you're at the point where you have a national party coming to you and saying, hey, would you be interested in running as a libertarian? You're now running a long-term campaign as a libertarian for the party's nomination to run as a candidate for president of the United States. How does that jive with your satirical campaigns from the past and what you're normally known for or the quote-unquote performance artist campaign or as I choose to call you the absurdist candidate and that's not a slight to you I mean that through your activism through your candidacy you point out the absurdities in the other politicians and in the American political system as a whole how do those two worlds coexist are you able to be yourself the satirist the performance artist the activist doing what you're known for while also running a legitimate long-term campaign as a libertarian candidate seeking the nomination of the libertarian party to run for President of the United States in the November 2020 election. How do those two different aspects of yourself work and coexist together? Are you able to do both? Are you able to be vermin supreme, the absurdist, 
performance artist activist candidate while also being the legitimate serious libertarian candidate at the same time how does that work give us a little bit of uh, insight on that um i i would say yes i mean absolutely uh, i would say that uh, the persona uh that i utilize from time to time is you know it's definitely the, the come on um but even if i'm not you know, because once again, that, that's one of the things I've been spending all this time. You know, not only is it not inconceivable, but trying to uh, demonstrate to uh, would-be delegates and would-be supporters yeah. that uh, who only, once again, they only know me for, as a meme. They only know me from the, the internet videos, it seems a lot of people do. Sure. And so to be able just to convince them that the boot is not physically attached to my head at all times. <laughs> right. Um, you know, trying to just uh, assure them that, you know, I am not my character. I mean, that's a revelation to some. Right. Uh, that I'm not uh, always on, that I'm not always disrupting. And that, quite frankly, I'm a very reasonable person with a reasonable offer that I'm putting on the table. Uh, now, the, my character and the way that I uh, approach it and the way I interact, I, one of the things I love about it, is that it is it's always been an improv type of experience on the streets because anything can happen. Any situation could occur. Um, I could be interacting with police. I could be actor, you know, interacting with the uh, duopoly candidates or their staff who are trying to prevent me and, and uh, you know, change the dynamics. And uh, that afford, and because what I've been doing affords me such a, a great leeway in how I behave, um, but it also has always offered me a great fluidity. I've yeah. always been very uh, open and very fluid in in being in and out of character and deconstructing what is occurring in real time and what I'm doing in real time sometimes if it helps people understand things. And I, I think if you, uh, you know, if you view any sort of long term uh, news article or any sort of uh, you know longer interview, um, it, it becomes pretty clear that, yes, I, I like to give the shtick because that's what the, the people like and respond to. Uh, but I've always been very happy to talk about, uh, you know, my real experiences, my real feelings, my real political takes and uh, all of these things. Sure. And uh, I, I sort of like it like that because I've always maintained, you know, I'm not a pundit. I, I don't care to be a pundit. Um uh, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, we all have opinions, sure. And, but, you know, and it seems that people seem to have this, they don't like uh, people who have different opinions or, or it causes real problems. And uh, they, they're not accepting of the simple fact that we all think different, uh, differently and interpret uh, our world in different ways and try and uh, make sense of it uh, in a, a way that makes sense to us. Um, so I, I've always felt that, you know, I, I uh, uh, I guess uh, over the last 30 years, uh, in my satirical role, it's more it's more been about, uh, once again, demonstrating the absurdity uh, of the politics and satirizing it and, uh, you know, using a communication strategy that is so simple and, you know, wearing a rubber boot on my head. What could be more simple? And yet it is uh, elegant and very effective. And it's uh, allowed me to communicate with uh, all these millions of people. And uh, I, I believe that most people get that it's a joke, uh, sure. if you will. Or, I mean, they see, I mean, you know, I think there's very a small minority 
that maybe don't think it is or, that, or <laughs> and, 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 and take it at face value and like, look, there's a, there's a crazy man with a boot on his head talking about zombies and right. ponies. <laughs> and, you know, for, for me, you know, I, I think that's pretty damn funny. It is. Um, but that, that, that people think that, but I just don't, I think most thinking people uh, who take a, a look that they understand pretty much exactly what's going on. Um, you know, uh, you know, brush your teeth. It's the law. I mean, you know, just linking <laughs> these simple things. And, and that was a uh, came to me, um, you know, when Massachusetts instituted a seatbelt law back in the early 80s. Yep. And I thought I thought to myself, you know, well, OK, I guess the state has an interest in, uh, you know, paying less to uh, paying for less brain injuries and scraping people off the streets <laughs> or whatever. Um and it makes it's a great idea. It makes sense. Safety is good. Uh, being responsible is good. Uh, but does it need to be legislated? Does it need to be a law? And right. I just thought to myself, what what could be a stupider or more ridiculous thing? Um, and I came up with the toothbrushing. And then uh, over the years, you know, that it got uh, expanded into you know not just a critique of the nanny state, but uh, uh, the 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 clampdown state, the secret. Uh, dental police and the preventative dental maintenance detention facilities and the <laughs> dental reeducation uh, centers and and the flying wing monkeys to act as tooth fairy enforcers and the <laughs> government issued toothpaste that contains an addictive harmless substance um you know so it, it became a biting critique if Absolutely. you will and um and because it's you know it's so absurd and so silly and and uh and yet it it's uh it's it's frightening you know it um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read the uh, my book, uh, I Pony Blueprint for a New America. Unfortunately, I have not. I have ordered the book, but for some reason, I've had some issue with it getting to me, and I don't know if it has to do with the issues with the pandemic, the coronavirus, and Amazon, or what's going on there, but I'm hoping to have that here within the next week. And I will definitely put a link in the description of this podcast episode for folks that are interested in checking out where they can purchase that book at. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I have not received my book from Amazon just quite yet. Fortunately. Yeah, if, if Amazon had switched over to pony drones, it, yeah, you'd have it by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that's the problem. So let's do a hypothetical here real quick. That's that's honestly a real possibility. Say you move forward as the libertarian nominee from the convention whenever it is actually held, whether it's in May or if it's pushed to another date. But say you're the nominee. What does a vermin supreme candidacy for president in the November 2020 election look like? I think it would look pretty similar uh, to... To all the other campaigns, except it would have a much, much it would have an intense media uh, interest. I think the synergy is is uh, undeniable. You know, I, I do very well. In fact, if you if you look at the Google Analytics, you know, I you know I just crush every. I'm way any other candidate that, that's uh, in the race. I, I'm, and in fact, the Libertarian Party itself, you know, I have more Google searches than the Libertarian Party itself a lot of times. Sure, and you know. And the, just the synergy of, you know, this character that I've developed, this, this cult following, uh, you know, because I've interacted with pretty much every media outlet across the, the um, you know, the world almost. In, in, a, in a lot of instances, I just got a, 
uh, a nice Italian uh, piece. I got a, a piece in Czechoslovakia a couple weeks wow. ago, a, a blog of uh, Israel. Um, uh, so I just think that it would be a, a silly, a, a great opportunity that uh, the LP would be foolish to to, uh, uh, to let pass by. Sure. Now I do. I do maintain that if they if they were clever, they they would have like siphoned me off to uh, be in their recruitment division and kept me away from the presidential race. <laughs> uh, but you know that that's just uh, they they did it, and you know that, that's I, I run. That's what I do, and so I'm you know the format is very, is mine. You know I've been working at mining this particular vein uh, to a point where it's it's second nature. Um, now I, one of the concerns that people have is you know. Can a serious party put up a perceived uh, Joe candidate? And I believe that the answer is absolutely yes. Right. Uh, but but it, it it's in the framing, and uh, you know it might look something like you know yes we are the serious party uh, we are the libertarian party we've been around for fifty years and we've done this and we're working on that and you know very very serious very serious party. <laughs> However, the the duopoly uh, electoral presidential uh, process has risen to the level of a joke and with love and with spite here is vermin supreme <laughs> hashtag we are in on the joke right. and I, I think you know that hashtag is really important and instructive it it, it it will allow the party to you know step away you know it gives it it's like a, a distancing technique uh, you, you're talking about you know straddling the two worlds sure of of serious and humor and I think uh, that does just that. Um, you know, people really like to interact and they like to use their imagination um, with uh, with the whole uh, iconography and the, the zombies and, and ponies and stuff. And uh, and yet they know it's not real. Right. You well, know, so they, they will they, people will ask me or talk, start talking about ponies. You know, what flavor is your pony going to be? How many, what color do you want it to be? Um, you know, all of these things. And, and people are happy uh, to play along. Absolutely. And that's that's very easy to see. And one of the things that you mentioned there that I wanted to bring up was, you know, you're, you're famous for, for the ponies and, and talking about everybody gets a pony. And one of the things that really clicked for me was when I was watching a documentary a couple weeks back to prepare for this interview, I was watching the documentary called Who is Vermin Supreme? I will put a link in the description of this episode. But in watching that, they interviewed the other third-party candidate, Jimmy McMillan, of the quote-unquote rent-is-too-damn-high party, and at one point, you and Jimmy were running together, and they were interviewing him, and he said one of the genius things about Vermin Supreme is he says every American will get a pony, but nobody has ever asked you what that pony represents, what it signifies, and that clicked. I thought, oh, Oh, that makes sense because that could represent X, Y, or Z, and and I thought that was very smart or or very interesting that he was able to, I guess, make that analogy. Well, it is a federal pony identification system. <laughs> you must have your pony with you at all times. Yes. So there is that. <laughs> okay. But I think I think that the fun thing, of, I mean, once again, a case in point uh, in terms of communication strategies, uh, the phrase "free pony." Uh, which I uh, essentially put out there 
uh, is now widely accepted in the political vernacular. Yeah. I mean, every, you know, oh, Bernie's college, free pony, you know, this is free. It's all free ponies now. And um, that that's why we had to protest Hillary Clinton at that book signing. That's yeah. why I had to sue the city of Concord to have a pony there to <laughs> exercise my free pony speech and stuff. So some of your other work that I really like and looking into what you've done, you are to be commended for is your activism for the First Amendment and how you work a crowd when you're at a protest or when you're doing your thing and you're working with both the crowd and at times the police in an attempt to make sure that no one's getting hurt but, in my opinion, more importantly, that the First Amendment is being protected and that people have their right to be heard, to express themselves, and to assemble peacefully, and that you are ensuring that that's happening. And from time to time, you have been able to kind of work with the police and work with the crowd in an attempt to stop scuffles and, and other fights. And you've really done a lot of good work to make sure that people aren't needlessly being beaten and or shot with pepper spray, and that's really amazing. I, being a podcaster, being a political commentator, obviously the First Amendment is everything to me, and it's worth dying to protect. So I absolutely commend you for everything you've done with the protection and the activism around the First Amendment. Oh, thank uh, you. I, for me, I think that's almost, you know, uh, the, the more important and I certainly the more immediate work. You know, you know sort of the, the satirical uh, comedy, uh, absurdist, uh, satirical, uh, situationist uh, mess. I mean, that that's very, it's so simple for me. And, and really, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, I just got very lucky. Essentially, I found a small niche, a very small niche, you know, running for president. Yeah, sure, a thousand people say they're going to do it or file with the FEC or whatever. Uh, but by, you know, you, maximizing the New Hampshire primary, uh, which I will uh, give a shout out to any activist uh, who wants to uh, really, if they have something creative to say, the New Hampshire primary is an amazing place to do it. Yeah. That, la that last week, right after everybody comes in from Iowa, you know, every candidate, every duopoly candidate, they have a campaign headquarters. They have a campaign staff. They have a campaign bus. They have campaign events. And they're everywhere, and they're bouncing around, and the media is from around the world. And, you know, that is what I, you know, by just being a goofball and, uh, you know, being a little stupid clever, um, was able to, you know, parlay that into uh, a, a state of uh, very well-knowedness, I guess, um, sure. and what have you. And, uh, and but, you know, once again, it's, it's sort of like pissing on fish in a barrel, you know. <laughs> it's, it's just that I, I, I was able to find a, a, a nice little niche and exploit the fuck out of it. Right. It wasn't that, it wasn't that hard. Uh, but you know, it allowed me, uh, it, or it has allowed me, of course, because I wasn't always, uh, as you know, unquote famous. Um, but that has also added a layer of, uh, you know, protection when I, when I'm out in riot world. Sure. Cause I, it's, uh, 
you know, it's almost common, <laughs> a common understanding that if you arrest Chairman Supreme, people are going to be really pissed. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I, I, I use that a little bit. And of course, um, it's a very interesting, it's a skill set, essentially. Yes. I mean, it, it's a skill set that I've developed. Um, are you familiar with the Rainbow Gatherings? No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, the Rainbow Gatherings, uh, it's the Rainbow Family of Living, Love, and Light. Uh, gathering of the tribes. Oh yes, uh, it, yes. That the 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 event that you guys have. It's it's like a couple. It's like a couple days or a week long. Are you talking about it, like camping out in the woods? Yes, it, okay. it occurs in it occurs in a national forest uh, yeah. every year. There's a national uh, gathering. Uh, sometimes up to ten to twenty thousand. Um, you know, demographic. I'll say hippies, but you know, there's also all sure. sorts of types of people there. And um, essentially, it's an it's an anarchistic organism. Imagine, if you will, uh, four thousand people sitting in concentric circles waiting for dinner, and uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, out of the woods comes from a hundred different kitchens in the woods comes all these people with five gallon buckets of food, and okay. the, they start going around the circle feeding the people. And you know, th there's hand wash stations going around, and people are washing their hands, and there are people going around making announcements as to where the the talent shows are that night, or the musical jams, or the workshops, or or the the orgies, or, or whatever they got going right. on, sure. or whatever. And and uh, and then the magic hat goes around. There's a little parade, and uh, there's a little you know magic hat song, and uh, because it's a non-commercial event, uh, because if it, w if it were commercial, if a uh, monetary exchange was occurring there, it would be a whole other level of uh, uh, government bureaucracy. But because uh, it's a non-commercial gathering, a free assembly, uh, we, we maintain that the First Amendment is is the only permit that we need. Sure. And so the, ma the magic hat goes around. People put the money in the hat. It's like the spiritual money laundering. Um, then it goes into the, goes into the middle of the circle, goes to the banking council, banking council counts it up, and they announce uh, what the total is. Uh, all the books are open. Anybody can be on the banking council that they want to. Uh, they interface with the supply council. They interface with the kitchen council. So like the 100 uh, representatives go to the kitchen council and hash out their shopping list and what they need and what they can share and all of that stuff. Uh, the, the supply goes out brings back the stuff and it's uh, it repeats itself sure. there's mi there's miles of water pipe uh that is or uh, you know plastic uh, water tubes that, that uh, we tap the springs um and like i say it, it's anarchy anything that happens there happens because there's a need for it to happen and people come together in councils and uh, and make it happen it's it's a, it's a consensus based uh operation uh where, where the locate where it will be located at the following year is decided at that year um and this type of stuff going on. So it, uh, and of course, there's a huge confrontation with the uh, U.S. government um, because they have been well. They will spend up to a million dollars a year uh, for the incident command team, which is a law enforcement uh, operation under the Department of Agriculture, <laughs> under the National Forest Service, and uh, and they their sole purpose uh, is essentially to set up roadblocks set up a big giant cop camp patrol uh, walk through the damn events um oh, jack people up uh, you know ticket them for nudity ticket them for the dogs off of leash ticketing them for uh you know drugs wh whatever they right. they they're there to create uh, incidents intention and they do it in a very heavy-handed uh manner 
And so, and, and uh, of course, the U.S. government has put forth various permits over the years. They tried to put a permit that uh, uh, said you needed a permit to gather in a national forest uh, if there's over 75 people. Um, and we beat that one. And uh, for years we've been working on, uh, we finally uh, got to a point where we uh, were working with the uh, resource people. Yeah. Fuck the, Leo, fuck the Leos. We were okay with the resource people. Um, and, and, they, and we would come up with a joint operating procedure. Uh, agreeing uh, what you know what if we had to stay away from this uh, part of the site or that part of the site or uh you know how uh because after the event um everything gets cleaned up all the trash is hauled away uh people go around picking up every last cigarette butts um that they, they are decompacting paths that have been co uh, compacted by all the people water bars are installed the place is essentially returned to a natural state a few years down the line nobody can tell um, so th this rainbow gathering, uh, me and my wife have been going for off and on for over 30 years, and it is where I learned everything that I learned uh, about anarchy uh, for, for, I mean, the, a big chunk of it, you know, sure. I, 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 I know, I know a thing or two about it that I did not learn there. Sure. But, um, <laughs> but in, in, in pre for, for practical anarchy and existing and this type of thing. And so for the first several years, I, I learned uh, how to be a clown. I was able to um, have such freedom there. And I, I also worked my skills on the stages and the, uh, uh, hosting the talent shows and stuff and, um, and that type of thing. And then after a few years of that, I realized that one of the – because we do provide all our own services, whether it's digging a shitter or cutting vegetables or, you know, or cooking – uh, or schlepping or firewood and anything there's so many things that need to be done but one of the the things that we must provide for ourselves is security and um so i started uh thinking more along those lines ah. and and working more with that council this uh shante sina it's a cultural appropriation term uh, sanskrit means peacekeeper and um if somebody's in trouble or if there's a situation you can shout out the word shante sina and that will, uh, you know, you'll get a response. A whole bunch of people will, will run in to try and de-escalate a situation. Sure. Sometimes they, they, sometimes they escalate it because things they don't know what's going on. Things turn crazy. <laughs> uh, but be that as it may, um, it's it, ultimately it's a glorified camp counselor type of position. Sure. And uh, in a perfect world, you're just dealing with domestic disputes or or arguments between a couple drunk people or or you know just trying to keep things calm but you know we, we've also been involved in putting out forest fires that have occurred um and deal and dealing with some very very serious heavy shit because sure. uh because uh sometimes bad shit happens there people are poor uh people people have people have been born there people have died there sure and uh and you know usually it's all it's a beautiful beautiful place with uh, m more magic than i've ever seen in uh, any other place and um yeah i highly rec recommend it well, that's but, good. You know, how, how long? How long does that event last, and and when is the event normally held? Uh, it's the uh, in America. It's the first week of July, uh, with a week set up, uh, a week to set it up, and a week to break it down. And um, and the, the sort of that then when they decide where it's going to be the next year, uh, that's when people start looking at the maps, and then they start walking the land. They uh, uh, the you know the, the in the spring and uh, you know because you're gonna find a site that has enough spaces to do this sort of you know for workshops and ten thousand sure. people hold a circle for the uh, the day of uh, world peace meditation and all that jazz.
Yeah, it's a pretty groovy place where that, stuff happens sometimes. That's wild. <laughs> that's wild. I'll have to, I'll have to check and, that out and, sometime. And, and so it, it'll, it'll be in Idaho this year. And okay. so one of the and so one of the services we provide is like we'll we will escort media uh, just because we want to keep them out of trouble. Sure. And we and we do cop walks. And this is uh, something that I started doing. And I would walk with uh, uh, you know eight Alabama State Troopers, for example, uh, for eight hour shifts. Um, and uh, and uh, just keeping them out of trouble. Essentially, police. Uh, we, police. Yes, we we we, yell, we shout out six up. That's our warning that goes to the woods, that, yeah. so that people know to lease their do- dogs or put away their weed or whatever, <laughs> right? And um, put some clothes on or whatever. <laughs> um, but I would spend this time, um, you know, uh, you know, and I was, you know, bringing in the clowning, bringing in the humor into the security, into the crisis intervention, and then on, into this whole cop uh, thing. And so I would be making fun of the cops. I'd be making fun of the hippies. I'd be uh, idea propagandizing the police sure. once again i, I tried to deconstruct uh, what they were experiencing and you know they would come in ramrod straight with their fucking sticks up their ass and by yep. the end of a end of a shift uh, they might be you know taking off a, a button off their uniform to gift me <laughs> right um, right so, and, and, and bonding so it was a very uh a very successful little psyop uh, that, <laughs> that we did but but it's where i i really learned to uh feel comfortable uh with yeah. cops dealing with cops trying to uh be reasonable and and make them reasonable and and uh and uh you know trying to intervene between uh situations and things like that and so uh, it, that is sort of where i learned a lot of my skills with rainbow and sure. then i was able to bring that shit out into the streets into riot world where like you have a line of protesters and you have a line of cops and there is this vacuum in between them and anything could and might happen <laughs> and um so you know sometimes it could be a protester uh getting too close and freaking out on a cop or a cop just might take a shot uh hit you know blast a fucking pepper spray yeah. or something um you know uh but i have found that i can command that space i can walk in and fill that vacuum and by addressing the uh the audience if you will the the uh, crowd, the, the freely assembled, and the police, because the police are a captive audience, uh, and I, <laughs> I, I, and I, and I bank on that fact. You know, it's like I know that you know if, you, if once again, if you know the the, the script, because it's essentially a script, it's a tit for tat. Yep. This could happen. That's going to happen. And if you know what to expect, you can sort of short circuit it and prevent that. And so uh, that is part of the thing. You know, I I, I give uh, crowd safety information because you know. Uh, um, a lot of these people are, are on the street at a protest for the first time or something, and they sure. don't know what could happen. So just sort of letting them know, you know, uh, if the police charge, you know, walk, don't run, uh, keep an eye on your friends, uh, um, you know, remove your contact lenses if uh, pepper spray is used. And, um, you know, you know, simple safety advice and letting the crowd know that, that they do have an exit uh, so that they don't feel like they're kettled and, and get antsy and panicky. So avoiding crowd uh, panic is a big part of it and of course affirming the first amendment uh, rights to gather and assemble and then i do readings from a uh, uh, riot control manuals <laughs> I've, right. done a, I've done a lot of uh, editing of uh, of documents uh, choosing uh, parts that i like that i think are relevant and most important and i will uh, essentially 
train these cops up. Uh, so I, I read them to the cops. And uh, of course, the cops are in this riot line. Uh, they, they may be chafing. They may be cranky. They might have to piss, but they can't even piss because they have to fucking, you know, wait for their CEO to fucking, you know, tap them out and all this right. shit. <laughs> and, you know, they may not want to be there and they might, you know, they may very well fucking be sympathetic to uh, the fucking people and feel very stupid being forced into fucking being fucking robocops. Sure. Of course. I mean, so, and don't get me wrong. I, I do know a lot of, a lot of them get off on that shit and, and, <laughs> and, and can't wait to hurt people. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I will read them the riot control manuals. I, I will try and connect with them. I will try and communicate with them to let them know that they can pull their punches. You know, even if they're so, commands them to do shit they can still yeah. do it in a way it's a minimal use and um well that's the thing and that's what i said it's very commendable that you're able to use your gifts your power of communication to stop people from getting hurt now it's going to happen and it does happen and it will always happen but you have used your power for good in those situations jumping back real quick to the campaign if folks are interested in helping if they want to donate if they want to be a volunteer for your campaign if someone wants to do that if they want to find out how to help how to donate where do they go to find out that information uh it's uh you would go to the website uh vermin supreme 2020.com okay um, and that is, that is where you could uh, donate uh, by any. We take crypto now. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, also, if if you drop a note, I think there's a contact. And uh, yeah, we like I say, we've got a, a heck of a crew being uh, developed. But of course, uh, it, it's it's really it's amazing. Let me tell you this. I mean, you, you sh some of the endorsements that I'm getting. Sure. Um, a, a volunteer fire department in uh, up in uh, Woodsville, uh, New Hampshire. Um. I wasn't expecting that, but they came out and endorsed me. Uh, uh, a gentleman who is, was the uh, most recent ex-former president of the Montana Grain Growers Association. Okay. Um, the, uh, the most recent uh, former executive director of the Republican Liberty Caucus. Wow. The real one. Um, so, it's, you know, it, I, I'm pretty amazed. I mean, if anybody had asked me, you know, uh, do you, Vermin, are you, do you ever see yourself running a real campaign? I would have said unlikely um, and certainly not uh, where I would be an actual contender uh, for the li libertarian nomination. So it's, it's very, I don't know if it's vindicating, but it, it's still, I don't know. It, it, it impresses me. It, it really does. And, uh, and the fact that, uh, that just uh, by doing what I've been doing, uh, which is just sort of building on skill sets and, and using it to the best of my ability, and uh, communicating with the people and trying to get people to open their eyes and understand that the duopoly is a broke joke and and that their <laughs> government is not their friends and sure. um, and that uh, cooperation is is essential and that the only way that we will be able to disengage from the government is by trying to create the parallel systems. Um, you know, I've been trying to really inject the the message of camp compassion and love uh, into the debates. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of libertarians, uh, they'll just, uh, 
start saying things that the general <laughs> public is going to, you know, it's going to, they're like, we must end the Department of Education. Yeah. People are like, what? You know, <laughs> we, we, I, I'm going to end Medicare and Social Security day one. <laughs> what? And, right. and so unless we, you know, my take is unless we can communicate a, a, a real transitional nature of, you know, of, of ways that we can do that, of ways we can arrive there. Yeah. But we as a people can can make that happen. Um, you know, I, I find that to be a, a stumbling block in spreading the, the word the uh, word of liberty. Sure. Um, and I believe that I'm pretty well positioned to uh, to reach a lot of people. And I believe that uh, you know uh, we need to. Really, I don't know if we rebrand, but I mean, I, I just know for a fact that, you know, simply my running has made a lot of people have to take a real second look at what the Libertarian Party is and what it means and what it stands for. And it took me a long time to get there, too. It took sure. me years to get there, to, over, to overcome my own prejudices, to overcome the stereotypes. It, uh, it was definitely a learning experience. I mean, I, I, just just that when I point out to people, um, you know, uh, that, you know, the, the Libertarian Party is not a right uh, leaning monolith. Right. It's there is a spectrum of political thought within the party. That's what people don't realize is it's not like being Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. You can be libertarian and be any of those other things as long as you subscribe to the belief and the principles of being libertarian. Let me ask you this while we're on that for a moment. You've ran both as a Democrat and as a Republican while saying you were neither a Democrat or a Republican. And you seem, at least from my point of view, to be at home in the Libertarian Party. Now, I don't know if they are all as accepting as they either should be for being libertarians or as accepting as you might like or others might want them to be. But you seem, at least, again, from my perspective, to be at home. If you would, for a second, talk about how you went from either not being libertarian or not knowing that you were libertarian, or at least not claiming to be libertarian, from there to where you are now, where it seems, again, that you're home within the Libertarian Party. 2008, uh, the Ron Paul campaign. Okay. Uh, because I was working up in New Hampshire, and so uh, there was a bunch of Ron Paul supporters with the triconer hats. And like any troublemakers on the streets, I was obviously attracted to them. And uh, started doing a couple actions. Um, I know Frank Luntz, the uh, the uh, repulster guy, was doing oh, yeah. a thing about with the the debates, and people were turning knobs, and it was inside this restaurant, and uh, it was me and a few of my friends, and and uh, the Ron Paul supporters, and um, we just uh, we, we just started banging on the windows. They were banging on the windows. I was putting my bullhorn up to the windows, yelling <laughs> through it, and we would the needles jump. And so that was a lot of fun. And of course, that was the first year that I, I shook Ron Paul's uh, hand and asked him if uh, he supported the mandatory toothbrushing law, right. uh, which, which he said yes. And then I asked him how he was going to pay for it. And he said we would print lots of money. And then I asked him if he would go back, if he would go back in time with me and kill baby Hitler. And he said it sounded a little risky as he drove away. Um, <laughs> and, 
So that was fun. 2008 also was the time that I, I think I, I stepped in front of Ron Paul's car uh, at uh, Moe's Diner. Look, yes. look up uh, Ron Paul Films, Moe's Diner. Um, it was like it was a crazy scene. It was the day before the election and, and all the media was on top of Ron Paul. And he had this uh, uh, event at a, a little pancake house. And the, the media clusterfuck was so intense that he couldn't meet any of the voters. And, they, and, and Mrs. Paul got shoved out of the way. And so they, they decided to abort the mission and um, and they came out and the advanced people sucked at that point because they had parked the car in a way that was difficult for them to leave. Right. And uh, so the <coughs> funny thing, it's like it's usually the advanced people sucking that usually get, lets me get the access. Uh, but anyway, so so the, the media was like not letting him get in his car. And uh, and there was almost a fist fight. If you watch the raw footage on the Ron Paul films there between camera people. And so I started this weird comment, this commentary, you know, Ron Paul, we are the media. We own you now. Answer our questions. And and so I was just doing this really uh, spooky commentary on the media itself. Uh, right. And and that's that's real funny. You, you, on the on the uh, video, you can see um, uh, this guy trying to do a stand up, a news guy. And every time he started, I kept I, I would uh, interrupt it with a bullhorn by accident. But it was real funny. On sure, camera. I will also link that in the description of this episode as well. In uh, 2012 um, was the the Occupy the primary, and that was sort of the last uh, uh, Occupy uh, thing that we were doing, I guess, and. Um, so we had the occupiers and of course new hampshire has the free state project now the nice thing about new hampshire once again it's a small state you have the libertarian activists you have the left activists they all know each other you know if sure. they haven't grown up with each other they, they work with each other and so on the streets on the during this time we would go to the santorum events we would go to the newt gingrich events and uh and there was like okay there's the occupiers on that side and there's the free staters there and and there's intermingling and all protesting the same damn politicians maybe for different reasons uh but it was a whole lot of fun and at any minute it could turn into a uh, pro vermin supreme event Sure, right. Which is not as much. And um, so uh, that was good. And of course, so I started uh, meeting with the Free Staters. And um, uh, in fact, our campaign uh, headquarters, uh, we'd rented out a room uh, from this woman, Chris. And, um, and she had uh, become uh, paralyzed. She, was, uh, became, uh, uh, she had to stay in a wheelchair. And uh, the libertarian community came together. They came together. They lifted her up and put her, helped her get back up on her feet, so to speak. Okay. And um, and and I, I you know once again it, it was it's, that really was a defining moment for me. That smashed my preconceptions uh, that you know that the libertarians were a bunch of, of greedy, selfish people. Right. No, no, there was caring, there was compassion, there was uh, you know community, and so you know ah, oh, and so I had this breakthrough moment, um, and so and later that uh that season, I was down at uh, Tampa for the conventions, and a, a friend of mine from way back was doing security at the the Ron Paul Fest, and so we went there, and I campaigned there. Um, so that was like 2012, and um, 2016 was a, was a year where I believe I feel like I, I was recruited essentially. Uh, uh, Boomer Shannon from from California, who got to uh, Jeff Hewitt elected there and all that stuff, uh, reached out to me and wanted to do a thing together. And, uh, I was, went out to LA to do, uh, some sort of media thing with some, uh, media thing. And, um, 
And so we coincided it and uh, we did this fundraising dinner for uh, SoCal Libertarians. And I um, was the, you know, I was the guest of honor or whatever and, and told all sorts of stories and, and uh, made it worth them paying 200 bucks a plate or whatever. <laughs> right. uh, so, so that was that. And I met his crew and the Alive Free Happy Kids and um, like that. And then later on in 2016, uh, Trent Soms, uh, who was then uh, leader of the Youth Caucus, okay. uh, reached out and invited and made arrangements for me and my wife to attend the International Students for Liberty Conference uh, in D.C. And uh, so we did that. And uh, they, he essentially brought me down to do this bit where I interrupted the opening remarks of uh, their president. And, uh, you know, he was in on it and all that. Right, so, right. Um, but that's when I did the scorching rendition of the uh, Star Spangled Banner on the bullhorn. <laughs> yes. With George Will backstage. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and, and, and it was really fun because, you know, they, um, uh, you know, they, they had no content restriction. They just, you know, let me do whatever I wanted to sure. do. So I did that. I did the Ponynomics uh, bit, the, the bit about Ponynomics. Uh, and then um, uh, threw a bunch of uh, confetti at him and, and told him that uh, Peter Kropotkin told me to turn them into a bunch of social anarchists. <laughs> I imagine that went over well. So how does your philosophy match with the libertarian philosophy? I mean, you know, I believe that most people, if they would really examine it, would be libertarian more than they would be conservative or liberal if they would really just look at it, but a lot of people are afraid to do that. But as far as on the national stage, you know, are you comfortable with the libertarian principles and the libertarian beliefs? Do you really feel like you're home within inside the libertarian party? For my campaign and, and, and my take and, and the way that I've been treated is that I believe that uh, if one is going to shill for or represent a political party, uh, then they should certainly represent that party's ideals, and that all that is contained in the uh, LP platform. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you know, and during all the debates, I I just try and bring it back to the platform, and I'm always trying to steer uh, the young people and and uh, whoever I talk to to you know check out the platform, and you may you know under the belief that they're going to agree with a, a good chunk of it sure. because a lot. Of, a lot of our Venn diagrams definitely overlap. Those circles overlap. And, um, you know, I believe that my, once again, my campaign has the potential to reach out to a whole lot of people, to uh, dispel a lot of the stereotypes, uh, to a lot of the people, to explain uh, libertarian platform planks to the people. And uh, I had found a political home, you know? Sure, I mean, I just absolutely. Met so many nice people. I feel very comfortable, very welcome. And this year, like I say, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I can only gauge that it is how real it is by um, these people's commitment. So then it's pretty safe to say by that that you feel as though that you're home, even if you don't make it past the convention this year, you feel that you are home in the Libertarian Party. Well, I, I, I can tell you this, uh, much like Lincoln Chafee and Bill Weld and a host of others, I, I'm currently uh, uh, gonna. I'm buying a, a lifetime membership. <laughs> so, so if that does not, if that doesn't show absolute commitment, I don't know what does. <laughs> That's hilarious. Absolutely. But, but, once, hey. <laughs> but once again, um, you know the, the thing about this being a serious campaign, 
uh, you know, I, I, I just uh, just a couple weeks ago, I turned down the opportunity to be listed on the natural law party ballot in Michigan because it would it would affect my seeking this nomination. Sure, absolutely. When, it, in New Hampshire, you know, a thousand bucks. I get uh, all that. And once again, when I ran as a Democrat, I was not a Democrat. When I ran as a Republican, I was not a Republican. Right. The difference is this time I am actually I'm a libertarian. I may come from the, the left side of the tracks, so to speak. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, I, I sync with the platform. And that's like I've said, if most people would look at it with common sense and would take a couple deep breaths and realize it's okay, third parties aren't as scary as what everyone has led you to believe, most people would realize that they were of the libertarian mindset. Especially the young people, because young, young yeah. people are, are, they're probably flexible. They're politically flexible. Sure. They're looking for things that make sense to them they're looking for things that they believe uh, are fair and right you know right. but i think uh, if we are able to bring them our way and show them uh, you know our alternative considerations and um you know just pointing out the the fallacy that the government can do anything <laughs> efficiently <laughs> um then you know i think we stand a very good chance of a of converting them or at least, uh, you know, the, I don't know, or convincing them or, or uh, helping them understand, I guess, would be a more accurate phrasing. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think uh, Vermin Supreme Camp candidacy would uh, would do all of these things. Very good. Very good. Let me ask you a timely topical type of question here. How has the virus, the COVID-19 pandemic affected you, your campaign, and what you guys will be doing or are doing looking forward to the convention? Well, once again, we, uh, most of the conventions that we were set to attend uh, have been canceling one after the other. Yeah. And we're, we're playing it by ear. We're just reassessing. You know, I'm, 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 I'm no spring chicken anymore. And sure. I was in I was in Chicago uh, at the Illinois debate, and we were we were like sharing one microphone. That was disgusting. Uh, however, when I got home, uh, we, we reassessed. So uh, it 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 has impacted our campaign, I believe, uh, because it seems to me that most of the changing of minds and changing of hearts of people who are have been seriously and adamantly opposed to me uh, occur. Uh, in a face-to-face -face setting, sure. or when they, or when they can see me uh, debate on their stage, um, I, I wish, and I, I don't know why, but I, I mean, I wish that uh, people w would do the due diligence and you know watch some of these debates online or do a little bit more research. Uh, but I think a, a lot of the people are just so dead set against uh, you know the guy with the boot head boot boot head man bad. Boothead man, bad. <laughs> right, yes, yeah, and and, uh, and so I just I I, I hope uh, like uh, this uh, you know I'm just going to do a lot more podcasts, going to be doing a lot more social media. Yeah, um, I believe that uh, we will be doing uh, direct phone calls to uh, to to delegates uh, to to speak to them directly. Um, so yes, it's definitely a, it's a different game now. Right, it's a very curious. Uh, new scary strange world that we are living in now <laughs> yeah. just just when you just when I, I was wagering would it be the uh, climate collapse or or was it going to be the government clamp down or right. was it going to occur together or and then they throw in the <laughs> pandemic into the mix right. what, a, what a curveball i was right. i wasn't expecting that no I wasn't expecting you know that. 
I keep I keep hearing everybody saying it's amazing that we're in the 20s again, and everybody was so happy that you know it was oh we're gonna have the flappers and whatnot. I thought yeah well you know uh, maybe it'd be the, the pandemic you know because it was what the the the, uh, uh, the last one was what in in the 20s I believe so you know uh, it's yeah, 18 uh, it was right there right okay out. right yeah right right leading up to it I tell you it's uh it's definitely a scary a scary situation with what's happening. We're, we're seeing things changing about by the hour here in Indiana with what's, what's, what's happening. And we're still, I don't even think we're testing yet. I think we still only have 50 some, some positive cases. And I don't really know how they're confirmed that they're positive, but they're changing us by the hour almost on what's happening. And it's not like a follow the leader. It's more like ring around the rosy and we're all going to be falling down. It's going to be really interesting to look and see how this does impact the elections as they Absolutely. as they come up. With the Libertarians in Indiana uh, met back a couple weekends ago, I believe. And so I don't know what happens in that situation. The delegates that you're talking about, they're so... I believe, from my understanding, currently... Uh, the bylaws uh, do not allow for you know if the delegates can't meet uh, physically, I believe the uh, the net, the LNC uh, get will be able to make the call. I from my from what I've heard secondhand, Ooh. of course, is that that is uh, that the LNC itself um, will will have the uh, option to select the nominee. Okay. And now is that is that scary or is that is that good? What what are you thinking as far as that for your campaign? I I don't think it's optimal. Okay. I don't think it's optimal. Um I think we have a better chance at a delegate game and, yeah. and the horse trading that might occur on the floor and the delegate swapping and uh, all of that crazy stuff. Sure. Uh but um of, of course, if it comes down to, uh, you know, lobbying the, the members of the LNC uh, just to, you know, lay out our case uh, once again. And uh, I, I believe most of them have been, you know, following uh, my campaign, uh, you know, but I think, uh, you know, institutions uh, are, you know, they're hesitant to to totally try radically new things sometimes. Right. And um, I suspect that if they're representing that institution or or are the embodiment of the uh, Libertarian Party National Committee. Uh, on the other hand, um, I, I I know most of the, the people on it, and uh, you know they like me, and I'm definitely the the second choice of a lot of people from 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 Bernie Rose to to. The, in fact, we just we just uh, grabbed uh, three former Yang staffers who came on over. Um, really? To volunteer to vol, and they were paid staffers, and now they're volunteering for sure. us. Sure. I also heard that we just got a, a Amy Klobuchar uh, yeah. volunteer. Also, that just shows you how real it is. I, <laughs> right. I, I mean, it blows me the f away. Yeah. I guess, you know, but it, it's really real, and I make it an offer, and it might happen, and I am prepared. Um, my, you know, with a little hesitation, of course, uh, to fulfill my duty of uh, five months of serious campaigning, milking the media, um, attending whatever uh, events are attendable. I mean, of course, a. Uh, big part of uh, our plan involved you know going to you know all the major festies or you know any, wherever the young people were sure. and and, uh, and the the comic cons and all the places where uh, my natural uh, support base are um, because let me let me rattle this off of course uh, uh, 3.9 million high school kids graduate every year give me two of those years that's 8 million kids add that to the 17 million college kids that is 25 million if i can get one out of four of those kids to vote for us 
boom that's <laughs> that 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 is 6.5 million aka 5%. But now that does not include the 100 million people who did not vote, 100 million plus that are disgusted, disillusioned, disaffected, uh, disheartened. We can bring them I think we can bring a chunk of them back and of course all the subcultures in America um, from uh, cryptocurrency nerds to Comic-Con nerds to roller derby girls to kinky sex nerds to Robert <laughs> Rules of Order nerds to you know to to furries to bronies all across the board. <laughs> And there's mil- there's so many mil- millions of those you know magic the card playing nerds and they're all my- they're all people who are naturally nerdy and and meme fr- meme friendly and, sure. and uh, part part of my fan base. Sure, absolutely. And listen, hey, I have enjoyed speaking with you. You have absolutely been one of my most favorite guests. We have went way over, but I absolutely have an enjoyed every second of it and would absolutely love to have you back on anytime you are welcome would definitely like to talk with you after the libertarian convention whether you win or lose definitely if you win and you're continuing on towards november would love to follow what's happening follow your campaign and would like to be there to see you know what a vermin supreme libertarian candidacy running against Donald Trump and Biden would look like this would absolutely be must see TV ladies and gentlemen we have been speaking with the one the only vermin Love Supreme, a libertarian candidate currently vying for his party's nomination to run for President of the United States of America in the November 2020 presidential election against Republican incumbent Donald J. Trump and whoever the Democrats put up, which will be Joe Biden. Sir, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are welcome back here anytime. I wish you luck. And until next time, God bless. Well, well, thank you. Uh, It was a pleasure. It was delightful. And uh, together, we will ride our ponies into a zombie-powered future. (laughs) Man, what a blast it was to talk with Vermin Supreme. I hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as I did. Sorry we went a little long, but when Vermin wants to talk, you don't cut him off. I hope that you guys share this episode, share the podcast as a whole. Remember, you can find Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey on all major podcast hosting sites. You can find us simply by searching Bilbrey Podcast. We can be found on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bilbrey 318. Remember to stay active stay involved, stay engaged, and look out for one another while we're still dealing with this coronavirus nonsense. It's going to be over one of these days, and we're going to be on the other side of it. But we really need to look out for one another. This has been the 87th episode of Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. I'm your host, 
Christopher H. Bilbrey. Until next time, stay safe and God bless. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com or get off your butt and call the show at 765-546-9796. Till next time, remember... Perception is...